This is the future of finance by Motive Labs. Hello, and welcome again to the future of finance, the podcast where we live and breathe the next generation of financial technology. You're joined today by myself, Sam, Alberto Corvo, and Chris Hewlett, co-founder of Octopus. Welcome, Chris. Thanks so much. Great to be here. Great to have you. And a big thank you and small shout out to our mutual friend, Todd Rupert, who uh, was the original person who connected us. Yeah, absolutely. Very good of him to do so. Absolutely was. We've thoroughly enjoyed our conversations together between Motive Labs and, and Octopus over the recent months. For our listeners, could you perhaps give a little bit of background about both yourself and then about Octopus itself? Yeah, sure. So I was one of the three founders of Octopus, which we set up back in the year 2000. And prior to that, myself and the other couple of founders were fund managers at Mercury Asset Management in London. Uh, really, we left because we wanted to build a very different type of fund management company. And so we started that journey in my lounge all those years ago, and really built the business since then to the point where today, uh, we have around £8 billion of funds under management and around 700 staff, and a presence in four or five sectors, which we really care about, where we are passionate about the difference that we think we can make. Congratulations. I mean, it's, it's been a fantastic journey. And having started this business certainly in the UK from an apartment our New York colleagues had a slightly luckier start to the journey what was it when you left Mercury that you wanted to do differently what was it that you wanted to improve and how did you want to create Octopus well the initial passion we had was for smaller companies which I think most of our management companies don't really do that well they tend to be focused on the larger areas where they can put more capital to work and so that really led us to, to start down that route. But the business has, has evolved where we now focus on sectors that we think are broken. We're looking to try and change things for the better in a way that not only delivers better outcomes in that sector, but also enhances returns that we can deliver for our investors. Uh, take, say, an area like renewable energy. That's got a long-term future ahead of it. The whole decarbonisation trend is not going to be dealt with overnight. There are many years ahead where we think we can put more money to work. Uh, I've already deployed something like $2.5 building solar and wind farms, here in the UK, but also in parts of Europe and now with a new office in Australia where we think there's a great opportunity. And we've also wanted to make a difference to sectors like healthcare infrastructure, where the whole demographic time bomb has really created a situation where there's a structural shortage of things like care homes and where we see a great opportunity to keep on deploying money for our investors. Oh, that's very interesting. And um, I knew how you are changing the how you deploy the capital and where you focus the capital regarding your investor and uh, the push from the regulators and the changing of the demographics of the investors. How do you see this playing out in your firm and in the industry at large? I think the real uh, big difference I've seen over the past few years is the rise in sustainability and how that's changed from being something that people talked about on the periphery as a nice to have. And now it's it's front of mind. It's it's really embedded in how people talk about things and how they are driving all their processes. Um, many of the pension funds that we talk to here in the UK and further afield, this has become absolutely fundamental to them now. They want to be able to talk about what they do with the money that they have at their disposal, not just how they invest it, but what good comes from that. And that has been something we've noticed, a, a really rapid change, um, not just in the UK, but but all over the world. Uh, and something which I think I'd like to say it was entirely by design, but by a bit of good fortune, by having built a presence in, in three or four sectors where we think issues like sustainability and ESG are really well captured, I think Octopus has got a, a range of things that we can offer to institutions around the world that, that really meet their evolving needs. And so 
When you talk about all of this, is it uh, how you invest your capital? But I imagine it's also how you engage with your investors, the disclosure did you provide to them, the disclosure did you demand of the companies you invest in. How do you create that pipe of information and uh, of openness as to how things are done and why they are done in a certain way to cater for this? Yeah, I think transparency is really critical. I think building up how we do things in a way that our investors really understand what we're doing and why. We're in sectors that are very long-term in nature. So when an institution invests into a solar farm, they're really making a 25-year commitment. So it's absolutely critical that there is that, that trust and understanding of why we're doing what we do, why we're going to be good custodians of that asset for the long term. And we've tried really hard to, to build a capability that is based around not just being able to do transactions and acquire assets, but also look after them properly, optimise how we... Uh, reduce the costs and, and maximise the revenues you can obtain from a portfolio of solar farms or a portfolio of care homes or whatever the asset class may be. And I think too much in financial services is done on a, on a highly transactional basis and people then forget they're going to have to look after that investment going forwards. We can certainly sympathise with that because we funded Motive Partners with the Motive Labs portion exactly to be able to do that, to be very hands-on with our clients. So I assume you spend a lot of time with industry executives inside your organization to be able to get this engagement with your your investments. Yeah, it's absolutely critical. It's particularly prevalent in our ventures division where we back high growth small businesses. Usually we're backing entrepreneurs who've got a big vision, really powerful, potent ambitions, and we want to help them fulfill their potential. And to do that, we need not just to be able to supply capital, which I think is increasingly becoming a commodity, but also to really help them execute on their vision. And that means both help that we can provide and also through our what we call our venture partner network that is exactly that. It's, it's, a, it's a range of experienced people from different sectors, different types of businesses, usually people who've been there and done that. And they can help an entrepreneur really hone their thinking and be a sounding board in a way that I think is really powerful. And we've also tried to make sure we have resources and know-how around the world to help businesses expand. 10 years ago, I think UK entrepreneurs were a lot less ambitious than they are now. Now, the people that we're backing want to build big businesses. They want to go international. More than half of them in our portfolio have entered the US market. And to help them do that, we now have a handful of people in New York whose job is not to do deals there, not to raise money there, but purely to help our UK businesses enter that market over the pond. And we find that's really powerful, that sharing of knowledge, uh, the ability to point them in the right direction, even help them with all the kind of tedious behind the scenes stuff you need around visas and place to live and understanding the market, as well as the, the really more complex value added components too. Octopus has always been seen as a real pathfinder and absolutely one of the most innovative asset managers, certainly in the UK, but I think globally as well. And you talk just now about that really collaborative approach with the entrepreneurial community and with the asset management and your investment community as well. The industry at large has evolved a great deal in recent years, and it's it's evolving exponentially at the moment. There are all sorts of new approaches to using AI, machine learning in businesses, alternate data opportunities, and data analytics. What do you think is going to be some of the most seismic changes on the horizon? And what are some of the opportunities that you would like to see Octopus focus on as well. I think the challenge for any business, uh, even as we're 18 years old, but the parts of our business we have to keep reinventing and, and re-evolving and challenging ourselves around what's the best way of doing things. The evolution of technology in our industry, both behind the scenes and back office, but also in, in how we take products to the market, that's changed phenomenally. Mm -hmm. How our customers want to interact with us, uh, how they expect to be able to communicate with us and when uh, is evolving really quickly. 
So I think every business has to respond to that. But how do you take a step back and see what are the big changes going on in the world? Well, I think still, for most people, the average man on the street isn't saving enough for their retirement. They're still not thinking about things. So how can we create products that both take advantage of current ways of doing things, modern technology, modern ways of distribution? How can we deliver things at low cost that really meet the needs of society in areas of where we think there's a big underserved population at the moment? And you just look at the average person in the UK, do they really understand what they're going to need to do to prepare properly for their retirement? Do they engage with financial services? I don't think they do. There's been a sort of breakdown of trust, I think, between financial services as a sector and the average consumer. A lot of that started a decade ago. I don't think really enough has been done to rebuild that. And look at how people think about the businesses they interact with. Think about high street banks. They have to work really hard to make themselves relevant to modern consumers now. All sorts of you know, new digital entrants to that sector create a real challenge for incumbents. It's true in asset management too. Uh, we have to be really careful to, to reshape how we do things continually to play to that. Thank you. You talk about underserved communities and when you think about that broadly as, as the sort of opening to the opportunities out there, you can address the global polity. There are so many different markets out there that, that you guys are looking to serve where others in a similar position in the UK may not go. And you mentioned earlier that you've opened recently in, in Australia. First part of the question, I guess, is what is the opportunity specifically in Australia that, that you see? And how are you seeking support from UK government in that respect? We certainly don't want to be trying to do loads of things in all sorts of countries. We're going to be very specific about what we try and tackle and where. Uh, for many of our teams, they've built up very UK-centric experience that doesn't necessarily translate into other countries that well, particularly on, say, the property side. But within renewable energy, we've been doing that now seven or eight years in the UK. We've been involved in the rollout of something like 150 individual large-scale solar farms. And the team has built up a position as a UK market leader. And we see opportunities in Australia, which somewhat bizarrely, they've got a lot more sun, a lot more land than the UK, but the solar industry hasn't evolved anywhere near as far as it has in the UK. And so there's a lot of know-how and capability and experience in our team that we think has a potential role to play in Australia in contributing to the rollout of, of solar power in that country. And so as of the start of 2018, seven or eight of our team are now based down in Melbourne. It includes some Aussies who've been working in London for us for a number of years. And we think there's a great opportunity to do something particularly exciting there. But what you won't see from Octopus is us trying to go into loads of countries all at once and spreading ourselves thinly. We want to be doing things at real scale in, in terms of sectors and also countries. Uh, in terms of the government, we've, over the last couple of years, really developed a, a good relationship with DIT, who I think have got a really important role to play in trying to link companies like ours to the opportunities out in the wider world. We've had lots of help from people in embassies around the world who have helped to make us understand the landscape, introduce us to local pension funds, other institutions, and really helped to create an environment where we felt confident to actually take our story out to other countries, knowing that there is a support there for us, both through the resource available in London, also the UK presence through the embassies in other countries. And I'd encourage anyone to actually have a think about that and take advantage of some of the help that is out there. Not to mention Australia is not a bad place to go. Yeah, indeed. And uh, I was able to visit a couple of times last year as part of our preparation for mm. opening an office there. And uh, yeah, I hope to get down there again, maybe November, December time again this year. Quite right. When there's some good rugby being played. It's really great to hear you talk so encouragingly and supportively of, of the great work that the Department for International Trade do. Themselves, Treasury, the City of London have done an incredible job at building this global network and ecosystem of support 
people. And there are many, many financial technology firms that I know that, that have benefited from that. You recently traveled to Japan with the Lord Mayor. I guess, firstly, what was the purpose of the trip? What did you get from it? And do you think Japan is going to be a, a big region for you guys in the future? So it was great to be part of the Lord Mayor's asset management delegation that went out there in in July. To me, it was interesting, firstly, to see how those kind of trips operate and see the type of access that is possible. I think also it was a great example of Lord Mayor and his team working with the embassy in Tokyo to really help drive access to the Japanese pension fund market, the ability to talk to 70 or 80 of the biggest investors out there and the opportunity to tell a bit of our story. Really great. And I think that's yeah, a good example, really, of how government and private sector financial services firms can, can come together to help to promote what we're doing here in the UK. So that was really powerful and a great experience. Japan is an enormous market, so much savings there, a lot of it held in cash and Japanese government bonds. And when we were over there, the Japanese regulator, the mayor, all the other officials we met, they're really keen to try and create an environment where more of that cash is put to work in higher returning assets. They know that they need to encourage that so that the average Japanese pensioner has more capital available in 10, 20, 30 years' time. And so I think there's a real role for asset management firms from around the world to, to play a part in, in giving them diversification into asset classes in other countries. Yeah, that, that's absolutely the case, and it's very interesting. And what I was wondering, just to change tack a little bit, having built businesses and being in the process of, of building a business, when I see people like you that have created this amazing reality out of basically nowhere – what were the biggest challenges you had that you expected to have and the ones that you did not expect to have in this 18-year-old journey? Well, we started out when I was 23 and the other founders about 25, 26. And we realized very quickly how little we knew. We'd been fund managers for two or three years, which is great in training to understand and think about companies. But you don't realize until you try and do it yourself just how difficult it is to get a company up and running in terms of raising the capital, all the things you've got to think about in the early days. We learn every day, even now, constantly learning things, challenging ourselves. I think the biggest things we've really learned and something I'd always encourage anyone to think about is people. We've realized the quality of people is absolutely fundamental. Every time we've made a hiring decision where we weren't totally sure we went ahead with it, it's never worked out. You've got to create and keep a really high bar for the people you hire because in the end, particularly asset management, it's a people industry and it's how you relate to your customers and how you make them feel and how you run your investment teams. Those are things that, that are going to matter. And so the quality of your people is absolutely paramount. And it's also the culture and how you make everyone feel like you're all going in the same direction. So to us, it's been really critical to uh, to communicate as much as we can with everyone who works in the business about the journey and the vision, and make them all feel part of the business through options and share ownership and create that kind of cohesiveness that I think is so powerful. And in terms of uh, things that you didn't expect that... Uh actually happen and you had to deal with? Obviously, the big crisis in about 10 years ago, but I imagine anything aside from that. I mean, there's all sorts of things. They can be when you realize that we're doing things in a way that doesn't quite give the customer what they want, or we haven't evolved our processes. I think until maybe four or five years ago, I think we'd underestimated the role that technology was going to have in our business. And we've really put that right in the past few years. We created a labs division specifically to develop new technology to use within our business and also to develop new products. And out of that has come two products that we've been distributing at the moment, which provide P2P and cash management solutions to individuals in a way that we think is, is really differentiated. 
And thinking about technology and customer needs has also led us to create our energy supply business, Octopus Energy, which is a highly tech-driven, very digital supplier of electricity and gas to UK residential customers and SMEs. And so those things, they weren't planned for. They weren't on a master plan we put together 10 or 15 years ago. But those opportunities came about. And, and I think where we've been good is spotting opportunities when they present themselves and then evolving and changing, recognizing that you've got to constantly be evolving how you operate. And if you put the customer first every day and you treat your thousandth or your ten thousandth or your hundred thousandth customer in the same way you do your first and always remind yourself of that, then I think businesses can can really grow to things that you would never envisage on the day you set it up. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Thank you very much. It really speaks to me. Yeah, super interesting. I always get really excited when I hear such successful entrepreneurs talk about the lessons they've learned. If you had to give the budding entrepreneurs out there listening in any industry, not necessarily specifically asset management, a piece of advice, what would that advice be? I think that's a few things that every entrepreneur probably naturally has as, as part of their DNA, but I think is really critical. You know, obviously, be really bold, back yourself, trust your instincts. We've had so many times over the years when people have told us that'll never work or why are you doing that? We had that on day one. We still get that now when we mm. try and do new things. Obviously, some things we try don't work, but equally, if you don't try, you don't know. And for example, our energy business has got 250,000 customers now and is growing really quickly and it's got great ratings on Trustpilot. When we set that up, people said, why is a financial business moving into the energy sector? Well, it's because we thought it was a sector where fundamentally it was broken. Customer experiences were terrible. The pricing of the product was terrible. We thought there was an opportunity to build a really different kind of business, highly digital and so on. And that, I think, is what we've done. So you've got to be prepared to do things at a time when everyone else questions it, to ignore that and to, to really back yourself. Surround yourself with the best possible people. If possible, found a business with more than one of you. It's very lonely being a founder. I'm forever grateful that there were a couple of us doing this so that you always have someone to bounce ideas off, someone who cares about the business as much as you do mm. in a way that no employee, no matter how loyal, can ever feel quite the same attachment to business as the group of people who founded it. And I think all those things come together, uh, hopefully, to give you the right ingredients to... Uh, to really set up a business and be well positioned to grow. Yeah, that totally resonates with the way way we've built our business and having had a large group of people there since since the beginning. And it reminds me actually what you were saying of, of that quote, you've got to be confident to lose sight of the shore for a long period of time and really back yourself. So that, that's awesome. Through my career, and, and I know through Alberto's, we've both been lucky enough to have some great mentors and role models. Uh, always important to be inspired and to aspire. Who have been some of yours through your career that you've, you can point at and say they've been really pivotal in how you've built your business? Yeah, I've been a, a couple for me, I suppose. I remember when I was probably about 10 or 12, the first person I ever used to talk to about business was my grandfather, who ran a small business in the northeast of England. And talking to him made me realize what's it actually like to wake up in the morning with your own business to run. The pressures, the responsibility, the excitement, satisfaction that brings. So that was, I guess that got me thinking right from an early stage, I'd be really keen to, to one day be involved in running my own company. And then once we set up Octopus and we realized what a daunting step we'd taken, we were very lucky that pretty quickly we were introduced to someone called Matt Cooper, who'd been one of the first individuals involved in the creation and growth of Capital One, the amazingly successful US credit card and financial services business. And the thing that Matt brought to us 15, 16 years ago was to encourage us to focus on setting targets that are really ambitious, that you have no idea how you can do. I think most businesses try and grow sort of incrementally. His challenge was always, how are you going to double next year and the year after and the year after, rather than how can you grow at 
30% a year. And so he constantly challenged us to think in different kinds of ways about new products, about how we did our distribution. And he encouraged us not to just try and copy other companies in our sector, but to really be open to carving out our own route, doing things in very different kinds of ways, and focusing on building as big a business as we possibly could. And I think that quite American type of insight was pretty rare in this country 15, 20 years ago. And he really helped to to shape our thinking in a way that has really become part of our culture ever since. And uh, what was the best investment you never made? Uh, I guess there's always things that you miss out on. There's one that we made for our funds that I didn't personally have any exposure to, a business called Zoopla, which is the internet property portal, which our ventures team first backed when it was about eight people. And I wasn't invested in any of the funds at the time that had an exposure to that. That business went on to become billion pound IPO, really successful. I think uh, the people who are lucky enough to be invested in that fund made, I think that stake grew 20, 30 times, something like that. So that was a business which, looking back, it's easy to say it was obvious it's going to be really successful, but has, has gone on to great things and uh, really grown absolutely phenomenally. We like investing in unquoted companies ourselves, sort of what we do. I think if you're passionate about smaller companies, you want to back your judgment. And Simon and I now do quite a lot of personal investing in smaller companies because that's what we really like, really care about. It's great to meet other entrepreneurs and hear their stories and try and play a small part in uh, helping their growth. Better to have an average jockey with a phenomenal opportunity or a phenomenal jockey with an okay opportunity? To us, the people are what? matter in everything we do we've seen the turbocharging that the right person can make to ideas if they've got not just the technical and the kind of raw skills but also the personal skills that are needed the ability to do things in the kind of way that we want in terms of the octopus culture uh, and when on those occasions you talk to someone at an interview and you, you really see it and you can feel it so powerfully and then those people join and a few years later you see what they've achieved that is that's always absolutely great so to me we try really hard to focus on the people we hire and the people we work with and people we partner with because we've learned over the years you get that right, it can be absolutely amazing. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Chris. And um, before we send you back out into the sweltering heat, I think City AM today said that today could be the hottest ever day in the UK at 38 Celsius, which is why I haven't been outside yet. <laughs> um, what are you up to this summer? You, you got any nice plans with the family? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, kids are off school now, so they're champing the bit to uh, spend a lot of time outside. My son and I have been learning golf, so hopefully keen to spend a bit more time uh, practicing that. Rather embarrassingly, uh, he's only 10, but he's already shaping up to be better than me. Uh, so I think I need to spend a bit more time on the driving range. Yeah, if he grows up to be anything like his dad, I'm sure he's going to be successful in whatever he puts his hand to. Thank you very much indeed, Chris. Really, really appreciate your time and uh, looking forward to spending more of it with you. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you, guys. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time. The information contained in this podcast is intended for discussion purposes only. It is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation for the purchase or sale of a security or any services of motive partners. All investing involves risk, and there is no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are as of the date of recording, reflect the views and opinions of the persons expressing them, and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of motive partners. Motive partners makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of any information provided, and undertakes no 
obligation to update, amend, or clarify the information in the podcast, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Any securities, transactions, or holdings discussed may not represent investments made by motive partners. It should not be assumed that securities, transactions, or holdings discussed, if any, were or will be profitable, or that the recommendations or decisions made in the future will be similar, or will equal the performance of the securities, transactions, or holdings discussed herein. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are based on beliefs, assumptions, current expectations, estimates, and predictions about the financial industry, the economy, motive partners, or motive partners' investments. Nothing in the podcast should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, accounting, tax, or other professional advice, or in connection with any offer or sale of securities.